0: Amen, and good morning and uh, and welcome to worship. My name is Andy Nelms, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, being the associate pastor here at uh, Lovers Lane and the pastor here at Thrive, and I'm going to welcome you this morning. If you're online with us this morning, I want to welcome all of you who are there. Let us know that you are here, where you're worshiping from this morning, and uh, I want to welcome you if you're in person this morning, especially if it's your first time. Uh, we are so glad that we get an opportunity to worship with you. Uh, we are in a series um, that actually we are concluding this Sunday called The Ties That Bind, and it's all about the importance of relationship. You know, relationships are really important, especially now, uh, right, especially in the midst of a global pandemic that seemingly never ends, especially in the time when our our politics, our world today seems to be more divided than ever, especially um, when uh, mental health um, is uh, seemingly in a crisis as uh, more people are reporting issues of uh, substance abuse and depression and all of these things. For all of these reasons, it is more important now than ever to create these ties. And, and as we think about these ties... As we think about you know creating bonds with each other, you know I think about you know how distracted we are. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I seem uh, to be living a distracted life. Um, you know, and and um, just you know last night uh, Melissa and I were getting you know things ready. The kids had already gone to bed, and and, um, and and I was going upstairs. She said, "Hey, if you're going upstairs." Um, can you check and see how uh, how much uh, how many ibuprofen we have? You know, like, yeah, we're, I'm going to the store later. I, I need to know how many we have. And so I, I, I went upstairs, and as I was on my way up, I got a text message, uh, right? It was, a, it was our group text, our, our friend group text. And so, you know, I was responding back to that. I was walking up the stairs. And then when I got to the top of the stairs, uh, I could hear um, our, our youngest children uh, talking to each other when they are supposed to be going to bed, right? And so I had to pop in and, and say, hey, guys, you know, it's time to, time to go to sleep. You know, lay down and close your eyes and, and do that. Uh, and then, I you know, I did that. And and then I went and grabbed my shoes because I was going out to the store and I came back downstairs. And when I got back downstairs, Melissa said, how many ibuprofen do we have? You know, and so I dropped my shoes and I went back upstairs. And uh, right. And and, and you've you've lived this kind of life, right? Like it, it, it seems that we live in an age of distraction. We live in an age of distraction at a time when we are more connected than ever Right, We can connect with people around the world instantaneously in a time that we are more connected than ever. We are also more distracted than ever. We are more distracted than ever, and we are pulled in a thousand different directions. And it seems like, you know, when, especially when we lose what's essential to us, When we lose our priorities, it seems to be easier to be distracted, and technology definitely has a part of that, but but it's also just kind of who we are as a people. When we lose what's essential, it is easier to be distracted. It's easier to be distracted, whether it's uh, with children and all the activities that are going on with our children. Whether they're, they're um, you know, going uh, to school, whether they're moving out of the home, if they're in a stage of transition, whatever's going on with them, we seem to kind of like lose what's essential and get distracted by what our children are doing, whether it's with our work. Um, our work seems to be occupying our mind, again, now more than ever, so that we can't just, um, you know, now that we can work from home sometimes, it, it's a great, incredible blessing, but then also it means we never stop working, right? And, and so even when we're home, we're not really home, and, and even when we're eating dinner with our family, we're not really eating dinner with our family, and our mind is always occupied by what is happening at work, and we never kind of stop and, and just ask the question. So I, I want to take some time today to ask what is your essential? What is your essential? What is, what is the main thing in your life? And to ask it another way, where are you going? Where are you going? Because we're all headed somewhere, right? Like, like we're all headed in a direction, we're all doing something for some reason, whether we acknowledge it or not. Where are you going? What is your essential? What is this all for? If you're a person of faith, you, you may think, well, you know, like, it's, it's, this, um, it's a life in Christ. It's, it's a life in God. If that's the case, then how are all the things that we are doing that we are occupied with adding up to that life in Christ? And maybe you're not a person of faith. Maybe you're watching this morning, you're here this morning, and you may not know what you believe about God. I would ask you the same question. What is your essential? What is it all for? What are, what are you working towards? Where are you going? Because we are all going somewhere. We are all moving in a direction, whether we acknowledge it or not. The question is, what is your essential? Because when we forget our essential, it is easier to be distracted. It's easier to be distracted. That's what we find this morning in, in our scripture. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter ten. If you have your Bible with you, or Bible on your phone, or however you engage with the Bible this morning, I encourage you to do that. I'm actually going to be reading out of a different translation this morning. Normally, I read out of the New Revised Standard Version, and uh, but this morning uh, I'm going to read out of the Message. It's a translation by Eugene Peterson. And uh, I think it's just kind of a a fun translation. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 40 is what we're going to start with this morning. Um, As they, uh, the disciples and Jesus, continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. So uh, Martha and Mary are, are kind of like throwing this house party, right? They're they they're preparing. Um, to, to host Jesus. Now, uh, Jesus, uh, of course, is an important person, and uh, in this time, Jesus is well-respected. Um, if people aren't acknowledging him as the Son of God, if, if they don't quite yet understand his relationship to God the Father, they are acknowledging him as an important rabbi. Rabbi uh, means teacher, and Jesus was one of many rabbis in this time, and it was very typical for you to host rabbis. In, in fact, it was quite an honor to be able to host a, a rabbi in your own home and so here, Mary and Martha are hosting the rabbi, and the way that this would typically go is that the rabbi would sit in the common room with the rabbi's disciples and any other people, particularly any other men, that wanted to hear from that rabbi in the common room. And the women would be preparing. They would be preparing food and and different things to, to help host this party, this event that was happening. And here Martha is working, slaving away in the kitchen, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Eugene Peterson says, hanging on every word that he said. It was very unusual for this woman to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. It is very This, this is not typical at all. And in, in fact, um, if this were happening um, to any other rabbi, the rabbi would stop and ask the woman to remove herself so that other men might be able to come in and sit at this rabbi's feet. But here Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus soaking up every word that Jesus is saying and Martha is working in the kitchen. Now now um maybe some of us can kind of relate to Martha right like like Martha is doing important work you know what i mean like like it, without Martha this thing would not have gone off you know like like you can imagine that 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 like Mary is the extrovert you know just the, like the social butterfly and is just you know do you want to host a party Mary oh of course i do people will be here and and we can talk to people and we can meet people and do all those things and and then Martha you know do you want to host a party well yeah you you know you need all of these things in order to do this right we we need to Prepare the food. We need to get all, you know, how many people are coming? Do we have enough place settings for everybody? You know, like Martha is thinking through the tactile important things. And so when the party starts happening, Mary is out in the common room with all the people and Martha is working hard in the kitchen. But she quickly becomes resentful. And, and maybe, maybe, it's because Martha is doing all of this work for the wrong reason. Maybe it's because Martha is doing all this work for the wrong reason. In fact, when we selfishly serve, we are frustrated when no one notices. Has this ever happened to you in your life? I I know this has happened to me, right? Like, Like you've been doing some hard work. You've been doing some important stuff. But nobody is noticing, right? Nobody is acknowledging. And so the more you work, the more frustrated you get and the more angry you get. And so this kind of like this good act that you we're doing becomes undone by the anger and the frustration you get from doing the thing that nobody was noticing. Just, this, come on, this has had to have happened to you before. Martha is serving, but, but maybe she is serving with selfish interests in mind. And so here she is, just getting more and more frustrated, right? Like like every dish she's washing, she is getting more frustrated. Every, every place setting she is serving, she is getting more and more frustrated, more and more angry, until finally. She goes out into the common room, and notice what she does. Notice what she does, right? Like, she does not, like, tap on Mary's shoulder, right? Uh, Mary, can I, can I talk to you for just a second? You know, just, let's, let's come back here. And, 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 you know, when they get on, just like, Mary, you know, this, uh, hey, we said we were going to host this party. You remember that, right? Social butterfly. You remember that we were going to host this party, and I said it was going to take all these things, right? And can you, can you just help me? No, this isn't what Martha does. What does she do? She interrupts Jesus. Right? Like, like, like instead of, Mary, come here. Uh, hey, Jesus, I know that what you're doing is really important, but apparently I've got something more important. I've been working in the kitchen, and Mary has not helped me, and then what does she do? Tell her to help me. She doesn't ask Jesus what the, the, the right situation here is, right? She, she, she doesn't say, Jesus, can you, can you give a ruling? Can you tell me, you know, what's going on here? Can, can, can you help in this situation? No. Tell her to help me. I wonder if this command that Martha gives Jesus, I, I wonder if it, if it speaks to this kind of broken relationship she has with Jesus. Here's what I found in my own life to be true. Maybe you've experienced this as well. If we don't listen to Jesus, we will confuse our relationship with him. If we don't spend enough time just, just in silence with Jesus, just enough time in prayer and meditation with Christ, we will confuse our relationship with Jesus we will spend the majority of our time in prayer just giving demands to Jesus. You know, we laugh at what Martha did, but but in reality we've done the same thing. Hey Jesus, give me this. Hey Jesus, give me this. Hey Jesus, give me this. Give me this, give me this. But when we start to really just revel in what Christ has done for us. When when we acknowledge Jesus for who he is, we will spend more time listening. And less time asking. Jesus responds to Martha. Again, in in the message translation, Luke chapter 10, verse 41 through 42 says this The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it, it's the main course. And won't be taken from her. One thing is essential, Martha. One thing is essential. This party would not make any sense without Jesus. This whole thing, the dishes you are doing, would not make any sense without Christ here in this room. None of this would make any sense without Jesus. This whole thing is for him. This one thing is essential. I wonder what our essential is. Here's the thing. Mary had chosen an essential. Mary had chosen a thing. She had chosen what was important and it frustrated Martha. And and, and I found this to be true that your essential has the likelihood of frustrating other people. Right? Your essential has the likelihood of frustrating other people. Why? Because it's challenging somebody else's essential, whether acknowledged or not. When we choose a thing, when we say this is essential, this is most important, it has the likelihood of frustrating other people. Don't be surprised. Why? Because other people have chosen maybe a different essential. And, and when sometimes those essentials are challenged, people confuse those and say, "Well, is that challenging me or is that challenging? Simply my decisions." Your essential, the thing that you have chosen to be core in your life, has the likelihood of frustrating other people. Mary said, "This is essential. This thing is important. Now, I'm going to sit here at Jesus' feet, no matter how many people it frustrates. What is your essential? What is your essential? one thing. Jesus said there is, there is one thing that is essential. You can only have one most important thing in your life. And many of us will say, you know, like, well, well my family is essential. You know, like, my family is the most important thing in my life. And, 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 and I know that, that families are important, right? Like, like, Melissa and I have a family, and we love our family dearly. But if that's the only thing that's important in our life, then it's going to put a lot of undue pressure on our children. It's going to put a lot of pressure on our children to, 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 to do and act and behave a certain way. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on situations that we simply cannot control. And, and, and so I believe, absolutely, that families are important. And, and I believe, Melissa and I believe, that our family is our first ministry, and we will continue to minister to them. But there is something even more important than our family. And we have devoted our lives to glorifying God. That is the one thing, that is the most important thing in our life So what is your essential? Asked another way. Listen to this. What, if taken away, life would lose its purpose? What if, if taken away, life would lose its purpose? What is that for you? Uh, You know, for, for, for Mary and Martha's party, it was Jesus, right? Like, like Jesus was the, the most important thing to this party, that if Jesus wasn't there, this whole party would lose its purpose. What is it for you you know when I think about like an illustration for this i i I, I think about college football um, i i I really love college football i I actually know very little about like Football, um, but I just really enjoy college football. I, I, I won't tell you what college team I, I root for, um, but it but it rhymes with Schmo University of Schmoklahoma. Oklahoma, um, and um and and but but I I, I really I just want Big Twelve um, to be in the championship. That's all I want, and for for you know if you're an Alabama fan God bless you, I I want Alabama to lose. That's all I want in my life. Um, but that's all I want, right? I I I enjoy college football. But here's the thing. If you ever watched, like, if you turned on college football, and, and, and like, college football, like, the point is to score, right? To, to score in any number of ways, right? To, to score a field goal, to score to a touchdown, to, to score through, you know, like a, like a safety, whatever it is, to score. That, that's the point of, college, of football. And, and if you ever turned on football, and, and, and if you realized that this team had lost the, the, the essential, the, the point of football, it wouldn't make any sense, Right? Like, like the team would, would get in a huddle, you know, and they would talk, and then they would come out to the field, and the people would just, like, like run around, you know? Like, like it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. If you ever watched college football and they lost the essential, it wouldn't make any sense. But if they ever did lose the essential, if they ever, like, if you were watching and, and a team had ever lost, if they ever said, it like, you know, they have been running around for a while and, and then, like, seemingly, like, no effort, like, no, you know, guys, what is this all for? If they ever stopped to ask that question, how would they find it out? Well, they might look back at the originator of the game, right? His name was Walter Camp. We have a picture of him here. In November 6th of 1869, the first college football game was played between Princeton and Rutgers. It was an intercollegiate game um, in Brunswick, New Jersey. And the first time they ever played this game was thanks to Walter Camp. Who was the guiding force on the rules and the board of the newly formed Intercollegiate Football Association or the IFA? If, If the teams ever got confused about the point of this game, they would look back at the creator of the game. So I ask you again, what is your essential? What is the one thing that is the most important thing? And if if you're thinking, like, I'm not quite sure, I would encourage you to go back to the starting point, to the one who I believe created all of us in the first place. And the, the Westminster Catechism is a instruction on on uh, belief about god in the church of england and they write this in the in the westminster catechism humanity's chief end is to glorify god and enjoy god forever that's it the point of life to glorify god and to enjoy god forever what is your essential what is what is the point because we are going somewhere we are working towards something whether we acknowledge it or not whether whether we can think of it or not we are headed in a direction what is your essential what is the most important thing what is the one thing that if removed from your life life would cease to make sense would cease to have purpose would cease to have meaning And if we don't know it, maybe we ought to go back to the creator, the originator, the perfecter of our faith, the one who created us and called us good. So here's what I encourage you to do this week. Each day this week, and, and I think this is helpful for us uh, if you're a person of faith or even if you're not. I believe that this is incredibly important for us. Each day this week, I want to encourage you to spend 15 Uninterrupted minutes asking, what is essential? Each day this week, spend 15 You have 15 minutes to give up, right? Like many of us are like, you know, like I'm really busy. As soon as I get to the office, I'm going, you know, like all these things. I'm, I'm sure you are incredibly important, but you have 15 minutes to give up. Spend 15 uninterrupted minutes, but, you know, turn off our phone, put it on, put it on airplane, close our office door, and go to the bathroom, I don't know, just hide somewhere. Spend 15 uninterrupted minutes asking, what is essential? Because whether we acknowledge it or not, we, we are treating something as if it's essential whether we acknowledge it or not, we are treating something as essential. It might as well be the right thing. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. God, that you would you would do something in this place and in our hearts this morning. God, no matter where we are, whether we are in this room, whether we are at home, whatever we are doing, God, I pray that you would bless us. God, that your Holy Spirit would sweep through our lives. God, that you would cause revival to break out in our hearts. God, that you would remove those things that are not from you. God, there, there's a lot of distraction in our lives. There's a lot of junk in our lives. And I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would remove it from us. God, we hand it to you this morning. And God, we ask you. Or, or maybe we just say it out loud to ourselves. We, we, God, we pose this question: what is essential? What is the most important thing? What is the main thing that we need to keep the main thing? God, we are, we are all working towards something. We are, we are all working towards a direction. We, we, are, we are all working towards something and I, I pray that it would be the right thing. I pray that it would be the thing that leads to life and life abundant. I pray that you would do it in our lives. We ask this in the name of the one who created us originally, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.